0: Hey folks, it's Dr. C, and welcome to my office hours. Um, Barry and I are excitedly joined again. That is a weird sentence. I don't know why I structured it that way, but we're going to keep going because that was a halfway decent opening. Um, you can
1: turn anything into an adverb. Well, if Let me the, tell you. I
0: think what sucks is that you can't edit audio, right? I think we've established that already.
1: Yeah, no, no, this is permanent. Yeah, this is,
0: it's it's uh, being bounced off the moon and back, just as is recorded.
1: Unfortunately, we have not developed the technology to edit anything, so this is straight take. One One
0: day. One day we'll be there. Science will will get us that far. Um, But speaking (laughs) of science, here to talk with us today about science fiction and fandoms and gaming and all kinds of neat stuff is Mr. Jeremiah McCoy. Uh, Jeremiah, if you would introduce yourself for the folks at home and let them know what you're about.
2: Hi, I'm Jeremiah McCoy. Uh, I am usually known for being a communicator in gaming spaces, from podcasting to YouTube to TikTok these days. Uh, And uh, I... uh, grew up in science fiction fandom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And actually on that note, Jeremiah, if you don't mind, um, we have something in common and that is growing up in the South. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, uh <laughs> I, I, am, I'm,
2: I'm from Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Um, <laughs> and the most common refrain that gets asked every time I say that is you don't sound like you're from Tennessee.
0: I was going to say, does that mean, you know, the Oak Ridge boys, but that, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's the other one that gets asked. Oak Ridge, for those who don't know, is where one of the two secret cities that were founded for the production of the first atomic bomb. Oh, Uh, I did not know that. uh, A quarter of the power in the United States Eastern Seaboard ran through this valley Mm -hmm. to produce the material that went into the atomic bomb. And very few people knew what was going on in that weird town that was guarded by the
1: military as you tried to enter. Okay. So. Uh, the the other being Los Alamos, New Mexico. Correct. Right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So wait. Oak Ridge was, was, Oak Ridge was created around the time of the Tennessee Valley Authority then? Uh, a little bit after. A little uh, bit after. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because
2: it was created uh, after World War II had started. So
0: Gotcha. And the TVA goes back to the 1930s. Yeah. Um, But yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, yeah. And the TVA, for those that don't know, is basically the reason that most of the Southeast has power at all. Yeah. it it was one of the huge projects that came out of the uh, uh, FDR's attempts at rehabilitating the United States economically uh, during and then pre- after the Great Depression. Um, and also gave people like running water and lights uh, that did not have it before. And that's interesting. I didn't know its connection to um, to nuclear power. Um, so speaking of uh, communities created out of thin air. Uh, for sometimes nefarious purposes. <laughs> sure, let's let's talk about fandoms. Um, so
1: <laughs> that's a good segue. <laughs> I always
0: have a always have a weird relationship with fandoms, mostly because in my youth, when I try to get into them online, it just was not a place that I cared for. And and but admittedly, that's my own user bias. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, both um, both you and I, uh, or all three of us, I should say, remember a world before the internet. Now, the internet's I mean, been around for a long time, right? But before it became the dominant cultural force in our lives. Uh, and fandoms and the dark, uh, ages. the dark ages. Or as as my friend um, and PhD candidate, uh, Shannon Gokuson pointed out on her episode, a lot of it started with uh, fanzines, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, homebrew publications that folks are making and sending out and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, Jeremiah, as we talked about in the last episode, um, you sort of got involved in this, uh, this sort of gaming world, and and I'm going to assume probably like reading science fiction and fantasy before then. But sure. for you, it was like gaming took off for you in like the 1980s. When did you sort of start getting into uh, not just the, the pop media of science fiction and and uh, that kind of thing and fantasy, but then d- getting into a community uh, around it?
2: So the humanity that I got involved with, And it was around the same time I was getting involved with bulletin boards, uh, which were before those, for those kids who are not familiar with the before the web, bulletin boards were you dial up and log on and they'd have message boards and so on. Uh, And I, I got involved in that, but my mom, who was a very odd woman, she was very strong, but very odd woman. She is. She she was a firefighter at the time. My grandmother was a Marine. My grandfather was a scientist here at Oak Ridge. So it was a weird mix of elements. And my mom decided to go to science fiction conventions and get involved. That's a hell of a pedigree. Yeah. There's a reason I'm odd. But (laughs) she decided, you know, let's go to science fiction conventions. She was friends with a writer by the name of Carl Edward Wagner. So she had been to a couple when I was younger. But, you know, around about 88... 89, uh, we started going to science fiction conventions and she got involved with something called a SMOF. Smoths are- I'm sorry? Yes. (laughs) For those of you who are not into the community of science fiction convention fandom, smoths are secret masters of fandom. It was a term that was come up with as a joke and they sort of embraced it and ran with it. It's the people who run conventions- the people who do like we're setting up the dealer's room. We're making sure there's handicap accessibility options. We're making sure that there uh, that all the programming goes off. Guests are invited.
1: The deep state, yeah, of the, the fandom, yeah. yeah I, the de-
0: it just occurred to me. <laughs> I need to have you back on so you can talk with my friend Shanna, who is oh. doing her um who is doing her PhD dissertation on uh, fandoms. And anyway, please continue. <laughs>
2: So we got involved in that. Uh, I got to, in 1989 or 90, I can't remember which year, go to a dinner with Julius Schwartz, who I, I think you probably know because of your comic book work. It rings a bell. He mm-hmm. was the editor at DC Comics when uh, like, the new Silver Age characters were all introduced and a lot of the changes that were going on towards the 60s.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay.
2: um, Basically, the sort of rebirth of DC Comics around the same time Marvel Comics was starting. I didn't know who he was because I was a kid. You know, I was a teenager. I didn't know who this. I wish I could go back in time and ask him 10,000 questions. Mm-hmm. He was at the first science fiction convention. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was an editor for a bunch of the Pulp Writers yeah, yeah. and then went on to be a... Uh, editor at DC Comics. And that was what prompted in my head the sort of crossover with fandoms idea. We were talking about doing this. The thing with fandoms is we have a tendency to think of them as separate. And they're not. There's a lot of crossover. Uh, I talked previously about gaming. Early on, there were a couple of artists who worked at TSR. One of them is uh,
0: uh, Tim Truman, And TSR was a gaming company. Yeah.
2: Yeah. TSR was the original publishers of Dungeons and Dragons. And one of the artists was Tim Truman, who went on to make a bunch of comic books, and Bill Willingham, who went on to write fables. And they both sort of entered entered and left the gaming field all the time. And you'll like uh, Charles Strauss is a popular science fiction writer. He wrote wrote the Laundry Files and the Merchant Princess series. He does some good stuff. uh, Won some awards. He is the inventor of the Githyanki for Mm. Dungeons and Dragons. The snake folks. Yeah. So we think of them as separate hobbies, but they're not. Like the the fandoms cross over so much and they influence each other. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Like, Dungeons and Dragons came along, and epic fantasy was never the same again.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to think about, like, um, the, I think about the novels that I grew up reading, like, um, Redwall, or uh, Dragon Riders of Pern, or stuff like that. And I absolutely see the fingerprints of D&D on a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense.
2: uh, During the early 90s. Mm -hmm a quarter of all the fantasy novels published in the world were published by TSR hmm. in support of Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Wow. 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 Okay. <laughs> so like, it, yeah. So you get like, um, you think get like the Dritz series, yeah. uh, or you think about, um, Dragon, uh, Dragon Lance. Yeah. That was yeah. the other thing that came to mind. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that uh, they influenced fantasy literature and you look at fantasy literature now and you can go, okay, well, this is the Dungeons and Dragons version of an elf. Mm, mm-hmm. When they have an elf, like before that, elves before Tolkien, like Tolkien, elves were very much sort of otherworldly. Yeah, uh, almost ethereal beings. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're they're not humans with pointy ears. They're something else. Mm-hmm. After D and D, they become kind of humans with pointy ears in yeah. a lot of fantasy.
0: Hmm. Well, and and Tolkien's elves didn't have pointy ears at all, which is a weird point to nitpick, but yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, did. Ask, some, ask a Tolkien scholar to argue about whether or not hobbits had pointy ears. It's
1: <laughs>
0: Tolkien and the Bible both hinge a lot on grammar. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and like, uh, oh, um, I remember having this, um, I remember reading about how people say, oh no, Tolkien talked about how the elves have pointy ears. No, no, no. He said they have... Uh, ears that are like hobbits, comma, sli- uh, that are a little pointy, right? But he was talking about hobbit ears. And something about, like, the comma placement is, like, important to understanding whether or not <laughs> Tolkien was talking about the elves having pointy ears or the hobbits having pointy ears, which is a stupid, pedantic conversation to have, but that is we are who we are, um, <laughs> see also the second amendment.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and, and and then there's like this the the I'm sorry the connection to the bible thing was like um there's a line in one of the translations uh, there's like a million translations of the bible but one in particular where it says uh, uh, Jesus hanging on the cross talking to one of the uh, sinners one of the bandits who's been crucified with him and he says I tell you this day you will be in paradise but there's another version where it says I tell you this day comma you will be in paradise and so it's the question of like will you go directly to an afterlife after you die or does it happen at the end <laughs> with like the resurrection <laughs> we have entire theologies bo- uh, uh, popping up around the use of a comma and similar Well, it's not entirely unlike the fandom um, and yeah okay I'm saying yeah <laughs>
2: (laughs) I mean, it's, and, and, but yeah, we, we have a, we tend to be like, we talk about the Star Wars fandom. Yeah. But the Star Wars fandom is often also science fiction fandom. It's fantasy fandom. It's gaming fandom. Mm -hmm. There's so much crossover and they influence uh, each other all the time. Even the early science fiction writers were also mystery fans. And that's yeah. why so much classic science fiction, it essentially boils down to murder mysteries.
0: I was uh, going to say that I was just looking up a moment ago. Um, George R. R. Martin is, has been involved recently with the video game project uh, Elden Ring. Yeah. Uh, right. And so, so as um, Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, I think, or his uh, his artists, I want to say, uh, from Studio Ghibli, I think, have been involved in it as well. Uh, and then it uh, also reminds me of uh, Guillermo del Toro being involved in Death Stranded. Um, this yeah. kind of crossover and bleed over is absolutely, because, they, and they all know the thing that um, a lot of us from time to time struggle with, and that is it's all storytelling. All of it boils down to, on some level, storytelling. Um, the mechanics of how we deliver the story are different. The level of immersion is different. The role of the author versus the role of the consumer is different. But it's all storytelling, um, and yeah. So it's, it, and this is also interesting because it parallels another aspect of our real, of I say real world, as though this weren't real. That I don't mean to say that. Um, it parallels other aspects of culture and as sure. we often think of cultures as being sort of monolithic um, or even homogenous and clearly defined and that's just not how it operates uh, as as uh, southerners. Um, I, I, I don't know if Tennessee had this phenomenon, I know that my neck of the woods here in North Carolina did, but an influx of, for example, folks from the north. Uh, particularly in like the seventies as jobs were moving down. And then again, uh, with NAFTA, uh, in the nineties and the relocation of jobs again, um, both in and out of the South and it brings in different types of folks. Uh, so then this idea of even what exactly Southern culture is, is, or a Southern cultural identity is broadly different, um, hugely different from, from region to region, um, you know, I got students from time to time and from uh, North Georgia or South Carolina. Uh, and I always like to ask him, what do you think of this electricity? It's something else in it, which is an unfortunate joke on my part.
2: <laughs> yeah. How do you like this indoor lighting? Cool lady. Uh, This plumbing is something else, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, I heard them all. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm aware that they're problematic jokes. Yeah. Um, and, and because, you know, I grew up here. I'm, deeply aware of the stereotypes around being Southern. Um, oh, yeah. and, um, I know the history of it, which a lot of maybe the other people in my na- my neck of the woods don't know the history of it. Cause they're not taught it. Like yeah. you have to go seek that history out. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, if I explain to a redneck today, what the origin of the redneck is, they would tell me I'm lying. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 16 tons. The song by Johnny cash should have ended with him. It's a song about digging coal. It should have ended with him chambering a shotgun round. Uh, (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, um, it's just, it's, it's interesting, but I think the integration elements of different fandoms to get back to that related I guess is in the 1960s and seventies, when everybody was very concerned with the civil rights movement that showed up in the writing, not just like black writers, although there are some prominent black writers who did brilliant work at the time. Octavia Butler, everybody should read Octavia Butler. Oh yeah. But like, even like uh, Harlan Ellison, who Mm -hmm. is by all accounts was a terrible human being in many respects But he was absolutely committed to the civil rights movement. He marched. He refused to go to uh, conventions in New Mexico because they refused to recognize Martin Luther King Day. As a holiday. He's like, I will never go to your conventions there. And then uh, uh, one other state, he agreed to go to a convention, but he wouldn't spend any money there. So he rented an RV and drove to the convention <laughs> and, and stayed in his RV and did not spend any money in that state at all. But he also mm. wrote a lot of fiction along mm. these lines that the
0: movement of society influence those fandoms. That's a, that's a power move, certainly. Uh, but it also reminds me of, um, so Derek Bell, who was the founder, one of the foundational scholars of critical race theory, also wrote, uh, at least one science fiction story in the form of the space traders, which was absolutely about, um, how, are you familiar with the story at all, Jeremiah? I don't think I've read it. No. So it's a part of a, and uh, a book that he wrote called Faces at the Bottom of the Well, which is about civil rights and things like that. And it uh, has in there a, a short story, um, it might be, you know, 20, 30 pages long called The Space Traders, which basically the premise is um, aliens arrive on Earth and say, hey, we'll solve all your problems if you give us all of your black people and the nations I have heard of this yeah and the nations of the world are like well hand you know this that and the other and then America's like done Uh, (laughs) and like there's a the protagonist is like someone who works in Washington he's a black uh, man who has like all this power and privilege and things like that and he's like and he's trying to negotiate and avoid this from happening and he also is under the delusion that like maybe he'll be able to escape maybe he won't be affected and it ends up not being the case he gets hauled off with everybody else um and so it is this, the, it's a story about, um, <clears throat> it's a story about the pervasiveness of racism that transcends a lot of power lines and that kind of thing. It, it's interesting how we, you were making the point earlier about all this stuff sort of bleeding together because there's, you've heard, as anyone who has been in pop culture fandoms for more than 10 minutes has heard, this, uh, perpetual lament that why is stuff becoming political now? Right. Why is social justice aspects making its way into fiction as though it weren't from the beginning? Um, One of my favorite examples is a book by uh, Charlotte Perkins, I believe, is her name. She the book is called Her Land, and it was written like 1910. I want to say it's a science fiction story about uh, a plane with three men who crash land in a valley where there's only women. And it's only ever been women for like a, a couple hundred years. At that point, um, they have developed a society and could reproduce without the use of men. Um, and it's a, and she was a suffragist. She was absolutely like sure. advocating for like women's rights, that kind of thing. The stuff's been political since its inception.
2: Yeah, William Marston. Oh yeah, was strongly uh, sort of uh, a feminist. In our modern understanding, I, I think of the word. He also was, you know, on the kinkier side of of, of life, but uh, uh, and that yeah. made it into his his storytelling. But like
0: even today, like he wrote Wonder Woman for those that don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wrote, wrote Wonder Woman, but even today, like each writing you can see reflects the era that you live in. There's a writer named Becky Chambers who wrote uh, the. Uh, long way to an angry planet or something like that i can't remember the exact title anyways yeah it's it's all about relationships and the relationships are ones that we would recognize now if you wrote it in the 1950s these relationships would not have shown up in this way but Mm -hmm. things like you know non-binary characters asexual characters bisexual characters are all just Accepted parts of this reality because we accept them in modern day as part yeah. of reality. Uh, and yeah, the, the fandoms don't exist in a vacuum. Is, well, and
1: way. and this idea of they, politics, they right? A, like mm-hmm. even the attempt at creating a story or enacting a story in, in some way that would somehow be a political, like avoiding politics if if that were possible, is a political choice in itself. It's 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 an attempt to yeah. try and wash something of any kind of controversy. But even even that is an attempt to just appeal to the dominant political discourse, right? Or or to adhere to a, a dominant uh, social sort of political ideology. As it, as it stands anyways, right? It's just trying to reinforce what's uh, a more uh, dominant way of thinking about things, politically speaking.
2: I, mm-hmm. I think one of the things I said on one of my TikToks a while back is if you didn't see the politics, it's because you already right, agree right. with it.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it, right? Um, it's the the fish don't know it's wet because it's only ever known this, this kind of water. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it also... Um, it also reflects this idea of the idea of, I'm sorry, the accusations that these things are becoming political is also pushing or it, it feeds into this idea of the perception of the demographic of people who consume this media versus the reality of it. It's often been pigeonholed as um, or science fiction and uh, comics and gaming and, and all the other stuff and fantasy have always been regarded as the domain of the adolescent awkward young white man. Right. Presumed heterosexual uh, young white man from a particular background who has the resources to buy and indulge in this kind of media. When, in fact, it has been enjoyed by a variety of people um, from across different spectrums, Um, quite famously at the I think in the middle of the Depression in like, geez, like 1935, 1936. There was a, a statistic that found that something to the effect of 100 million comic books were in circulation right? And that was not unusual. The years leading up to and the years leading after, roughly 100 million uh, comic books. And we're talking about a country that is at that point not nearly as large as it is now. You can't get by on just like uh, young white men reading these comics alone and this, the, the, and have that kind of number, right? And so uh, or we could talk about how like fan, in terms of fandoms uh, cosplay was pioneered by women. Um, uh, the collection of women who started going to these, um, to these conventions and thinking, Hey, I know how to make these outfits. What if I do that and have fun? Right. And now it's a multi-million dollar industry where some folks can just do that and make appearances. And that's how they pay their bills. Right. Um, and yeah, and going back to the point you were making earlier, that it resonated with the folks who were involved or interested in the civil rights movement was also a reflection of, it resonated with people who had an invested interest in the success of the civil rights movement, yeah. right? So yeah, it's um, it's nice to see these, these increased representation and a, a, a more comprehensive dialogue around who is uh, a part of the fandom. And it's just the growing pains, I think, in many regards. Um, someone left a comment. On one of my TikToks uh, related to it was a video I did about the uh, casting of black folk in the new Lord of the Rings series that's coming up. Yeah. And it is, I've been chewing on it for a few days about how I'm going to respond because I'm going to. Sure. And the comment is from someone that has a, uh, the profile picture is an anime, so it's not their own face. And like the stuff they make is like duets of other stuff and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, it's them spelling out the N word, but with, Uh, different emojis Um, and it's them spelling that out and then, except for the letter R, the letter R is just the letter R, apparently they weren't even creative (laughs) enough to continue the motif, which is really just, if there's anything I can't stand, it's hack racism. Um, I need you to commit so (laughs) at least you should have the courage of your convictions you you jerk Uh, and then it's the N word and then dwarves and like those I don't ever think we're gonna to get to a point where those ideas aren't around sure but I am pleased to see that they are gradually becoming the minority perspective here. Um, they're getting loud but it's I would hope I'm hoping it's the you know the dying cry of a uh, of an anemic perspective for lack of a better term
2: I guess yeah and a certain extent a, a certain portion of them are just there too they want you to react
0: yeah. Yeah, like,
2: yeah. The, they get off on the power they have in making mm-hmm. you feel bad. And that's why they do it. Yeah. Um, uh, it like, uh, like maybe 50% of those kinds of com- comments, maybe 80%, are somebody who really just wants to see you lose it because it gives them power over you. Yeah. If you really focus down and could read their thoughts, they probably would f- find the idea of you know the KKK or something abhorrent, but if they can use it to make you angry, yeah, uh, that's their that's their end goal. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that, that's that's a. I'm not certain it's a uniquely internet thing, but it's certainly it's a it's a encouraged feature encouraged by feature. the internet.
0: Yeah, it's not a bug. It's it's a feature. Uh, what, what what actually what came to mind was. The, and, and the reason I, I do want to address it is because uh, it would it'd be easy enough to just like delete and block and all that kind of stuff and just move on. But the idea of this is an individual who does not have any sort of investment, not even in what they're saying. Right. Not even in uh, the maintenance or the gaining of clout or anything like that, because they don't even have like a visage to attach this kind of uh, uh, thing to as opposed to how we actually write to each other in real life. If you express an unfortunate uh, perspective or an unfortunate opinion, even if you're in full tilt cosplay, you're still having to deal with the consequences of that right Um, and at least then there's a certain amount of emotional buy-in for those interactions as opposed to the ability to just fire off a comment and it not be um, and it be taken either seriously or not and to your point whatever sort of gratification comes from the um, response and all that kind of thing it's just it's an interesting phenomenon that we eh, I was going to say we have to learn how to deal with but I don't know maybe the best way is just not to deal with it I guess just let I, it die on the vine.
2: I struggle with it too, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I I am a communicator in D&D spaces and I have to deal with those people too. Um, uh, my my favorite story to tell people who say, well, women never played or black people didn't play back in the day. and I was like, well, my mom bought me my first D&D set because she got tired of me getting into hers and her DM was a uh, black blues and folk musician named James Sparky Rocker. Yeah. So... That's a hell of a name. <laughs> um, uh, he, he, he still operates, but the the preconceptions that these people are tossing out is like, I knew we wrong from day one. And mm-hmm. so I, I have to comment on, you know, those conversations and I get the trolls. I get the people who want to... And sometimes I just delete and block them yeah and my only regret is that i can't watch their frustration when they realize that that it's like it never happened yeah um <laughs> like i i wish i could just see the look on their faces like but why, why did any he rant but sometimes i also have to engage that's where the hi comes in yeah. <laughs> um where when i have to start a video with hi it's usually because somebody has full faced went into a philosophy without my perception that it is purely them trolling
0: it's a genuine um display of having their head (laughs) up their ass not a performative one yeah (laughs) so um i think this is a good note to end on uh this idea of how um Phantoms we try to we try to gatekeep Often and I include myself in that some because I have been that kind of person before certainly as a younger Man um, of trying to Maintain these sort of purist boundaries Of like well it has to be this right or It has to be that Um, and why does It need to be political or why does it need to be Deviant from the source material I Had someone um, in my comment Section the other day said well it's not racist For uh, it want for it Wanting to be close to the source material and I said Well that kind of depends is the source material racist because In that case yes yes it is Uh, Um, so yeah, it's good to see that these conversations are, are broadening and that, hopefully it seems to be that they will continue to, we are strapped onto the, uh, wagon of capitalism. So it's always going to be a fraught and perilous, um, uh, way forward, but hopefully it at least continues to be a way forward. Right. Indeed. Uh, so any closing thoughts before we go read more please. <laughs> um, just, just do the readings for class. And nothing else. No. Um, George R. R. Martin said it well. He said, if you want to write fantasy, read everything outside of fantasy. Um, Read stuff because it's far and away from the things that you are interested in creating. Because that will give you so much inspiration and and broaden your horizons. Interesting point coming from a guy who uses uh, sexual assault as a uh, narrative mechanic. But you know, hey, we're none of us are perfect, right? Uh, he got his
2: start in comic fandom. Like yep. he he was uh, attending uh, uh, Comic Con, the first Comic Con, and he wrote letters to the Marvels letters page. And before Game of Thrones, uh, I knew him from that. He was the writer on Beauty and the Beast, the 1980s TV show. And yep. he wrote, a, 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 a edited an anthology of science fiction about superheroes called Wild Cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He comes from an era where the sexual assault was a story element and it yeah
0: and I, I make a little bit of joke but the point being you know read 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 um, yeah. or consume media in other ways but yeah um all right so jeremiah where can people find you and or support you because you do have stuff to offer uh i have a
2: website dot i put a lot of uh D related content up there uh i'm on twitter as tech noir i'm on of course. TikTok as basics of the game. And uh, yeah, we you know, I try and talk about geek stuff, mainly gaming, but I do talk about other geeky pursuits because I like geeky pursuits.
0: Uh, and of course folks can find me on uh, TikTok at Dr. underscore C on Twitter and Instagram at GA Cruise PhD, and they can email thoughts, comments, and uh, questions to ga PhD at gmail.com. All right, folks, thanks for coming by the office hours, and uh, we'll see you next week.